Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's so good to see you. If we haven't met before, uh, my name's Stu. I'm part of the team here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. Uh, today is going to look a little bit different because we're going to talk about justice. And I do mean we, because I've invited some friends. Uh, I've got Ben from International Justice Mission. We've got Dan. We've got Jen. There's a lot of that going on today. (laughs) Ben, Dan, Jen. Uh, You know Jenny and Steph uh, from Flourish. They're such a dear part of our community. Also, shout out to Lynn Portree as well. He's also part of the team at Flourish as well. Um, We're going to open up a conversation about justice. Can you do me a massive favor and give these guys a massive round of applause as they come to the show today? Uh, Justice is right at the heart of who God is. Justice ultimately is God's heart for the world. Uh, The thing is, though, we don't really talk about justice enough in the church. Or whenever we do talk about justice, we kind of, we sort of leave it to what we imagine the justice warriors to look like. We kind of imagine Extinction Rebellion folks and part of them. Um, But we think about those guys and think, you know what, they're doing the work of justice. We'll let them crack on and we'll just sort of carry on with their lives. Today, I want to reframe the conversation about justice. We are going to share some stories about justice today. And so at any point, uh, particularly if there is any kids in this space, feel free to head into the family space or you still can uh, head into Big Party if you do want to head in there if you're a primary school kid. But today, I do want to reframe the conversation around justice. Uh, My prayer, and I've been praying this behind the scenes uh, for months, actually, is that we would leave uh, this venue today with a clear sense of just how important our role is as ambassadors of Jesus in the world to see an end to injustice, slavery, and violence. But I'm also praying that you wouldn't see that this is just something for the few, but actually all of us are invited to do our bit in seeing an end to injustice. From the prophets to the priests, right the way through to the person of Jesus, we see God's future that one day this earth will be flooded with justice and with joy, that justice will roll like a river and righteousness will be like an everlasting stream. Yet, this future has already begun because on the cross, Jesus disarmed the power of all corruption, of all people and all powers that dehumanize anybody else. Their power has been broken and through his resurrection, His inbreaking justice is at work, rescuing and restoring genuine humanness amongst people. But here's the thing, as followers of the true liberator, we aren't just to sort of sit around waiting for this day whenever justice is going to flow like a river. No, we are invited to live into that free future today. And we do that by living lives of worship, true worship, the kind of worship that God loves which more than any song is expressed through loosening the chains of oppression, setting the oppressed free, and breaking any yoke that binds anybody up across the world. We do live in a world that is rife with dehumanizing powers, and we know this because we're Lagan Valley Vineyard people, Isaiah 61 kind of people. We're to be the kind of people that are to proclaim liberty for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. We're to pray, We're to give, 
We're to advocate, we are to hassle the heck out of our politicians, we are to become aware, and we are to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with a God who wants his free future to be made known amongst his people today. So I wanna open up the conversation, and I wanna begin uh, by turning to you, Ben. Um, thank you so much for being here, representing International Justice Mission, an organization that I love. Would you, Ben, share a little bit about the heart of IJM? Yeah, sure thing, folks. It's great to be sharing with you this morning. Um, yeah, so IJM stands for International Justice Mission. We are, by the grace of God, the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. And we have teams working all around the world here, working on the ground, in the trenches, finding and rescuing people who have found themselves in places of modern slavery. Um, as I mentioned, we're, we're a big team team made up of lawyers, of undercover investigators, of social workers, of IT specialists, all and loads and loads of many more people using their skills towards this one goal of protecting people from violence. And we've been around over the past few decades and so far we have had the privilege of seeing over 66,000 people rescued from modern slavery. Um, and so we, yeah, we, we praise God for that. But I guess as well as the, the rescuing and the restoring of individuals, we also want to partner with local authorities in these contexts and country, countries around the world. We want to make sure that the, the traffickers, the perpetrators, the criminals, that they are actually held to account for what they're doing. And so, as I said, we, we partner with local authorities to make sure that these traffickers, these perpetrators, that they, they can't do this anymore, that justice is actually served. And then on a, on a bigger scale, on a bigger picture, we want, to, we want to strengthen entire justice systems. And thankfully, in 2022, slavery is illegal pretty much everywhere around the world. Unfortunately, what's not in place everywhere around the world is justice systems that are you know, properly equipped to enforce these laws. And so we work with the government, we train police and judges and community leaders to, to make sure that systemic change happens, that we see this change last and it's there for the future, and that this cycle of slavery actually can be stopped. And we're starting to really see this, this working, this model coming into place. And some of the places that we have worked, we've seen slavery reduce by up to 86%. It's amazing to, to see this happen. Um, and fundamentally, everything that we're doing is... is in response to God's call in our lives, particularly as we see in Isaiah 1, where it says to seek justice and to rescue the oppressed. So that's, that's a wee bit about IJM and who we are and what we do. Amazing, Ben. Um, could you speak to the scale of injustice globally? Sure, yeah. Um, obviously, and we'll, we'll hear about this this morning, it's, it's a big problem. A few statistics to share with you. It's estimated that there are about 40 million people trapped in modern slavery today. This is, this is more than any other time in history. And again, when I first heard that 40 million number, quite hard to comprehend, that's about the population of Canada trapped in modern slavery today. To put it into perspective in another way, by the time we finish this service this morning, about another 120 children will have been sold or moved into slavery. And bear in mind, there's three services this morning. Uh, this is children who are moved to, to work in brothels and bars and boats. And every single one of us sitting here this morning, we know that children do not belong in brothels and bars and boats, but they belong in families and schools and playgrounds. 
One of, the, one of the first stories I heard when joining IJM was a story of a, a young man called Godwin. He's a teenager, really bright student, loves school, definitely loves school a lot more than I love school, and uh, loved him, uh, playing with his mates in football. And he was offered by a family member to take him on a, a trip to, to get him some more school supplies. Um, sadly, this was a trick. He ended up being sold into slavery in Lake Volta in Ghana to work on fishing boats. Another family that comes to mind is that we worked with at IGEM was a, was a family who took out a, a medical loan uh, to pay a medical bill of about £150. And they took it from a business owner who worked on a rock quarry. And uh, in return, they were to work for him just to pay off that debt. But he inflated the debt so much so that they just couldn't pay it off. And decades later, this slavery was passed down from one generation to the next. And these are the kind of stories that we hear where it's either Someone's been tricked, there's corruption, there's lies, it's false job opportunities, but so many different ways that someone can find themselves in modern slavery. And just to really quickly say on those two stories, taking Godwin, for example, he was rescued, but because of Godwin, he told us where 29 other people were trapped on the lake, and because of him, 29 other people were rescued. It's just amazing courage. The family, uh, two of them, a couple, they are now out of slavery, but they're now leading the way in their community, using their voices. They've uh, brought over 200 people out of modern slavery because they're using their experience and their voice to advocate in their community. So stories of darkness, we're seeing them turn to stories of light as well in this moment. That's amazing, Ben, thank you. Um, whenever you hear stories that you're gonna be hearing today, but also particularly the stats that you shared there, um, we can kind of place some distance between us and the reality of that and even whenever we hear about what's going on globally it feels as if it's still very much out there but this is why I was really keen for you both to be involved in the conversation because uh, slavery and injustice and trafficking it is also very much a local issue and that really is the heart of Flourish responding to that. Jenny for those of us who don't know about Flourish do you want to share a little bit about its heart? Yes, absolutely. Um, so probably before I talk about Flourish, it's helpful for me to talk about what human trafficking can look like here locally. Um, so in the same way of some of the stories Ben has shared, human trafficking also happens here in Northern Ireland. Um, and that can look like a whole different uh, different types of ways in which people are being trafficked. So whether that's forced labour, where someone is being trafficked in our local fishing industry, um, where someone's being trafficked on farms, uh, through car washes, um, through cannabis cultivation, um, or it can also look like uh, domestic servitude, which is an un a fairly unknown form of exploitation here locally, which is where someone is basically treated as a slave in someone's home. Um, and then finally, there's sexual exploitation, which is probably the most commonly known form of exploitation. Um, so with that in mind, back in 2014, our founders, Jill and Elizabeth, um, identified that there was a real need for ongoing long-term support for survivors, which currently at that stage wasn't being provided. Um, so then back in 2014, Flourish started. And with that, they, uh, you know, we've started with uh, providing one-to-one -one casework support, which I'll not go into in too much detail because Steph will touch on that, but other forms of support that we've identified as being really helpful and beneficial have been group activities. Uh, so that has been in the form of different craft activities, um, which has been brilliant just to allow clients to 
have a creative outlet to benefit from. Um, we've also had drop-in, which happens once a week, which involves clients being invited in for lots of different activities, uh, for coffee, to play games, and just to have a good laugh together um, and to build community together. Uh, we also have our food store, um, so that is, is a facility provided for anyone that needs any essential food items or toiletries. Uh, we have counselling and we also have art therapy provided. That's a really quick snapshot of some of um, the different things that uh, Flourish do. We also have our own social enterprise called SOAN um, through our SOAN skill programme. So that is a place for uh, survivors to learn how to sew and also to learn employability skills. And off the back of that programme, they're then invited into our production process. And then all products that we sell, which are linen homeware products, 100% of the profits go back into Flourish. Uh, it's worth mentioning that we identify that every survivor's story is different and unique and that's why our casework support is very much based on the individual and is very much based on a one-to-one -one case. Uh, so that's a bit about Flourish. Awesome, Jenny, thank you. Uh, Steph, as a senior caseworker, you've got a really interesting insight into all of this. What are some of the issues that people being trafficked face day-to-day -day here in Northern Ireland? Yeah, so everybody that comes through our door, like Jenny has said, is totally different so I'll just touch on a few issues that we would see but uh, one of them would be immigration so most of the men and women that I work with are asylum seekers so any of you who don't know if you have applied to become a refugee you go through a process called seeking asylum where you're an asylum seeker and it can be a number of years you can be in this process and basically you get some basic accommodation but you're not allowed to work, you're not allowed to claim benefits and you get a, a weekly allowance that work, works out roughly at about £5 per day per person. So if you think about Belfast for example, it's £4 for a bus ticket for one day. So if you were a heavily pregnant woman and you had an appointment across town, either you walk there or you pay for a bus ticket there and back, which is gonna cost you four pounds, leaving you with one pound for the rest of your day. So that causes obvious issues for people. Another one would be housing. So I just thought everybody here was entitled to homelessness assistance. That's not the case for some of our clients. So for example, if you are an EU national who's never worked here, so you were trafficked here, you don't speak the language, you've never worked here, you don't pass the eligibility test for homelessness assistance and for most benefits. So you're essentially destitute and we would support quite a few people in that position as well. Another one is the obvious physical and mental health problems that come after trafficking, but it can be something really simple. Like I recently had a six month pregnant lady come through and she didn't even have a GP. So it can be something as basic as that that we're starting with. Um, and then just one more, I honestly could talk all day about the issues, but one more would be English. So the majority of people that I work with don't have English as a first language. Another portion of those people don't speak any English at all. And then an even smaller portion would be illiterate even in their own language. So that causes massive difficulties for people. So like Jenny and I always laugh, like WhatsApp is my best friend in work because people can send me a picture of a letter that they have received. And then I can send like a little voice note back describing the letter if they're worried about it or whatever. So yeah, that honestly is just some of the issues that we would see coming through. Thank you, Steph. Dan, we're really delighted that you're here with us today. Um, we're going to take some time to hear uh, some of Dan's story, and um, yeah, the story is it's remarkable, and we're so glad that you're here, Dan. Um, to kick things off, do you want to share a little bit about growing up in Cambodia and, and a little bit about your family? Right, thanks for having me here, guys. <laughs> um, I, 
Actually, I've got. I've never been in a big crowd before, so um, I'm really nervous to be honest with you guys. Um, just take yeah, your but, time. So last night I spent a lot of time just like brainstorming and trying to say what was right in my head, and also just make sure you guys understand that because English is my second language. So um, yeah, try my best. Take your time. Fine. Thanks. So um, I was born in Siem Reap, uh, in a small village in the countryside, and it was surrounded by rice fields. So if you um, you're from here, so you see like lots of hills and mountains and you know ships and stuff. So for 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 me, it's like you know, flat rice fields and um, palm trees and coconut trees and water buffaloes and cows, you know, chickens running around. So yeah, all sort of sun stuff. And um, the road is dusty at the time, it was like, you know, like bumpy, like very bumpy. And um, I was the fourth child in my family. Um, living in post-war, in, in post-war country, so um, genocide known as the Khmer Rouge. Um, it killed a quarter of the, of the people. Like quarter um, quarter of the people in Cambodia at the time, and uh, I remember um, hearing bombs blown off. Like also, like sometimes in the middle of the night, like bullets was flying everywhere. Like you know, a fireworks, but it wasn't a firework. It was like a real bullet, you know. <sighs> Sadly, my dad was uh, a soldier, so um, he witnessed. Um, his friend being blown off by landmines. It was terrible, he told me. And the incident was still haunting him till these days. But despite all those things happened in the country after the war, I, I, I had a, a happy memory, like as a young man, a young boy like riding buffaloes and, you know, like, and the rice field, all this kind of stuff. That was like my fancy playground. <laughs> yeah, so it was a great memory. Uh, in 2005, uh, my mum died unexpectedly. It was absolutely awful. I, I, have, I was lost. Uh, it was the great loss in, of my life. And um, I didn't feel safe at home anymore, so I had to, had to move to my grandmother's. And um, I was completely lost. And somehow I ended, up, I, ended up, I ended up on the street. I was homeless. I found myself sleeping in the middle of the market at night for several years. Like, whenever we just were able to listen to your story, it is just so powerful. And um, I'm really 
honoured um, that you're here today and to be able to share this story just is just amazing. Um, I began the conversation with Dan on, on Friday, uh, asking him to share an experience whenever he grew up a little bit into his kind of mid to late teens, um, and there's a job opportunity came up, and Dan uh, then then shared a little bit around what that job opportunity was and what that meant for him. So Cassie, do you want to flick up Dan's story? with my friends, like sleep in the market and, you know, like just try to figure out what, what, what I was going to do back right. then. And then um, one of my friend, best friends came, popped up at the time and he was like, I've heard somebody got a job like in Thailand. Sure. And um, that was $300 working on boat, um, two weeks on and off. Yeah. So I thought that was brilliant. What would have been the average pay in Cambodia? at the time was about $75, $75 per month. Right. So considerably more in Thailand? Yeah. yeah. Way more. It's like almost like seven times. And so you then decided to take this job opportunity. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey of taking the job, moving towards Thailand? I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Oh, so, and then when we got to, um, to the border, we get off the taxi at the time, and then there's a guy came, get on the motorbike, three of us with the driver, so four people on, on the, the motorbike, right. which is 125cc. Right. So a small bike, so Man. jumped in the bike, and then drove off to this villa, which was very fancy, sure. like air conditioning and um, food in the fridge, and, um, you know, like, nice so far yeah. and everything. So we was like, wow, we, we made the right decision. We, we're right. living in the dream. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we arrived at 12 o'clock and then um, wait until 3 for other people to gather up in the same house. And then 3 o'clock, we all jumped into um, this, like, tuk-tuk. Yeah. And then... Off we went, like leave the house, and then when we were in the house, when when we at the border, which is like a wire fence, um, there's Thailand. We know that the guys that that's Thailand. And sure. When you get there, there's no way back because if you lose or if you um, if you if you can't make it, yeah, you know, mess. We will, we will, your life will be messy. So we have to follow this guy. Sure. We walked through um, from day from broad daylight to the dark sure. through um, sugar countries to um, um, like spiky trees whatever we right. had to do because there was we there was no documents or go through the normal immigration yeah, yeah. to get stamps or this is the way you know like sure. to get to the country like legally and then we never knew where we were when we, when we on we on the pickup truck, and then you, man, then you arrived at the port, and then stepped on onto the boat, and still thinking that this is the opportunity that you were expecting. Um, can you tell us a little bit of what the working conditions were like whenever you got onto the boat? The first, um, I would say, between when we get to the middle of. the in the middle of the, the ocean of Kola, Thailand, the first 
six weeks or one or one or two months, working condition was horrendous. Right. Like nonstop, no break times, no um, no naps, just a cup of coffee and then keep going. It's just relentless. Yeah, and then, but the interesting thing is when we arrived there, um, as long as the boat pair and they swap staff, they swap okay. crew. Yeah. Um, the captain just show up with AK-47. Man. And that I was scared as like entire things like that was it. This is a different different world. So basically, so we just throw the ball and just like, shooting boom boom and in the sea. So it's about five or six bullets just boom boom. So we all on the boat just like, what is this? You know, like a young teenagers, boys who promised to be like really yeah amazing opportunity and then turned out as like a threat already. You've mentioned before whenever we've been chatting that as the staff swap boats then you had a conversation with somebody who was in a similar position to you but maybe three or four years later they told us that he um they've been there like for three or four years there's no way of the keeping records of how long they've been there right and that's a moment that i felt like i don't know when i'm go- we are going like me myself and my friends are get out of this place that moment of realizing that you were stuck, that must have been horrendous. And completely disorientating, all of your expectations of what you thought was going to happen are completely shattered. And I know that as we've chatted through your story that that was such a dark and disorientating moment for you. I can't even begin to imagine how you would have felt there. But what you've said to me in the past is that even in the midst of the darkness and the disorientation, that God gave you hope in the midst of all of that. And I would love for you to share a little bit of how God helped you, even in the darkest moment of your life. So (laughs) I, I used to have a dream, like being like, about the sea was like about one and a half meters above the sea, the waves and all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't know, maybe I was eight or 10, eight or nine or 10. Sure, you had this dream. Yeah, and then the dream was like very compelling. It was really like strong. And then when I woke up, I felt like, what what is it? You know, wow, that was amazing. And then when the dream that, when I reflect, when I remind me of, this situation when I was on the boat. Sure. Like in Gold of Thailand, working nonstop, like conditions were terrible. And in fact, it's like at, uh, the slavery, you know? Yeah. And then at the time I was, uh, I, I've kind of, you know, grew up with a lot of, around, surrounded by missionaries. Right. Um, then, you know, I, I, I've heard the living God, I heard about Jesus, and sure. I heard about, you know, good news, sure. and all this kind of stuff. But after all this happened to me and my family in the past, I started to walk my own way. Sure. And that's the only moment when I was on a boat that I started to give it a go with my face back. Right, know? right. So you're able to eventually get a couple of breaks from this relentless working condition, and then some birds shoot up. That was pretty cool. 
I was working, working, we all working, busy, non-stop, and then suddenly there's a bird landing, a seagull with skinny, I don't know, probably they try across the, the goal of Thailand from one to another, right. so how it works, but, and somehow it's a miracle, like, come and land on our boat. And then it was died, the first, the, the, the first one that landed, it was died after it landed. So I thought, like, whoa, so what is this? For me, I think it, I feel like something's always like leading me, like leading me or showing me. Like um, after, like I was dreaming about this and I was on the sea, and then something's happening. So, so this felt like a sign. I take really strong notice of sure. something. Sure. Like, small thing happened, but I didn't realize that because we knew that it would be four to five years, sometimes six years, that would be on this boat. Never know. Nobody told us. So yeah, but I started to take a bit of movements every night or day, like spend time with God. Sure. Went up to the rooftop with the barrels, bottles, and then just keep praying like about right. five to ten minutes. So yeah, so about sometimes later, and then another one landed, and then I was like, right, so we need to feed this one, make sure that, in my head, it's like, I don't want this to die. Again. Sure. So I fed the fresh water, I fed them, um, I fed them with um, with fish and stuff, and then um, about a couple of days later, a couple of days later, then it flew off. So I thought, oh wow! So I think I saved something. Sure. But it was really cool though because like all my friends, like all my friends and you know people work with me. Yeah, it's yeah. Like we want to eat that one. I was like, no, 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 no. Right. I was the one protected. Right. And then it flew away. So um, again, another one came. And then this time it's got quite healthy, but I wasn't sure that capable to go or not. So I put it in the cage and doing, you know, my routines like shit sure. and stuff. Sure. And then after a few days, and then I let go, and then it flew away. So I again, I always feel like something's happening. You know, yeah, I feel yeah. Like yep. Build up my momentum, build up my excitement about what, what is what's going on. Uh, so there's this moment where you are noticing things and you're, sen- you're speaking to God, you're sensing the God speaking and you're also witnessing these birds getting healthier and escaping and then within days a storm hits. One of the company's boats sank sure. capsized because hit by the storm and then um, my boat um, my captain, the captain knew what's, what's happening, and they can't do anything. And then it's like, well, you know, we anchor it and see if the wave, if the storms come. But after two, two nights or a few days, the rope stuck under my, my boat's propellers. And then one of my best friends jumped in, and he cut the rope, and uh, he got he got hit by the boat or he drowned, and then he, he's dead. And then the rope was cut. And he, he wasn't coming back. It was horrendous. I, I feel really, really like, at the time, his story and his family never know oh, where he's gone because no way that people identify this person. So that's it. brutal. But anyway, so the boat cut and then we were sailed to the nearest island. Right, so you see the land and... What, what do you do? The first night, I was going to jump, but there was like massive fish under the boat. Right. And I was freaked out, and I was like, sure. 
no, I'm not going to do that. But the second night, they moved. The second day, they moved closer to shore, which yeah. is about between three and a half, two, between four and three and four kilometers distance. Which is still a big distance. Yeah. But for me, all my excitement, I think that's, that's, that doesn't matter. Sure. I live in the boat, I die. If I do this, die, I try my best. And so you escaped? I did, yeah. The second and night, swam. just 12 o'clock, jumped in and just kept swimming, swimming. I was swimming, 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 swimming. I don't know. Just until like I, I, my run, I ran out of energy. My sure. body was like so like shattered. And sure. I drank a lot of salt water and my throat was really like salty and thirsty. Sure. And then I couldn't swim anymore. And then I was like, this is it. And I, I was grateful for that. I've tried because I know that because I've seen deaths, many deaths in the past. But I was like, God, I've tried my best and thank you for everything. And I did it. And then I touched something. I was like, woke up like, what is, what what is going on? Because right. I'd never swim in the sea before. i never, ever been into the sea. So I was swimming until I hit the sand. And then I thought I was on, I was on, on the sand, on the beach. Keep crawling and then I collapsed. The moment then, whenever you were lying on the beach after you never swam in the sea before and had to swim up to four kilometers with the risk that you took, and then you're lying there and there's this sense of relief, but also nobody knows where you are. You have no idea where you are. You've got no identification. And Pete and I, and Pete did an amazing job with capturing story on Friday, Pete, I'm so grateful for you and how you did that. But Pete and I have just been chatting since Friday of the annoying thing about um, what we had to do on Friday was there's so much of your story between lying on the beach and where you are today. And it's just miracle after miracle after miracle of how you were able to make your way back home, um, of how you met the love of your life, how you were able to land here and find home in Ireland and, and raise kids here. And it has just been a remarkable story. Then your story is remarkable, but it is unfortunately way too common. Uh, people who find themselves tricked with an opportunity and then uh, corruption happens and uh, you're left trapped in situations like this. Then I want to kind of close out this section of your story just by asking you, why are you wanting to share your story with us, the church? Why do you want to talk about modern slavery and the reality of it to the church today? Well, um, so after I left Cambodia, after I left Thailand for like, after like quite a while actually, um, then, you know, I arrived back to Cambodia, went home, and um, I didn't have any support. So I have to start, I started to build my life from scratch again. And um, that was quite tough, you know, like after everything's been through, there wasn't any support. There wasn't any, like, uh, at the time, there wasn't many organizations, even though there were some of them, but um, it wasn't enough people to support. So um, for me, um, to come to this far, I think that um, 
you know, because my motivation, all my, my efforts to try to get, to get myself to be here today, that, is, that took me like almost 10 years. But um, what if some people who, um, who, who just arrived or some people who didn't even have any justice or some people who couldn't even like stand and speak, uh, speak for themselves. And for these reasons, for me, like look, sit here and think back to those moments, it was horrendous, like, you know, you just kind of freaked out. You, you get like every time you see things happen, like nowadays, if, if I'm driving on the road, like see like the, the police cops or the, the um, you know, the present transfers and stuff, it just, whew, I feel like, wow, what is going on, you know? So um, the reason I like to share this, I, I'm, I want to share this because I want people to be aware of like this thing is, not, is happening. It's not a story, it's not a, the headline news, it's not propaganda, it's like, it, it's real, real is happening. Doesn't matter, like, in Europe, you know, we heard about the English channels, and we heard about, you know, so many people. And um, just to have such a small numbers to, um, not many people to be aware of, or not many people, to help each other to stand up and to support those guys, those people, Life could be, it wouldn't be turned as me, but it could, be, it could be worse. So I like to share because I want people to be aware of the reality is happening nowadays. Thank you for making us aware and thank you for giving voice to the voiceless because I know that, that for you is such an important thing. Um, Dan, thank you for, for sharing your story. Um, Seth, I want to... I wanna, pivot the conversation to talk about um, what happens after rescue. Um, because I know that for Flourish, that rebuilding process, that starting your life from scratch then, like you just mentioned, that really is the heart of what Flourish is, is all about. Um, what does that look like here? Yeah, so you've heard it firsthand from Dan. It took you 10 years. It takes years for people to rebuild their lives you know all of the issues that I have already mentioned these all happen after rescue so I think you hear these stories about rescue and you think it's amazing and it is but it's just the start of a long journey for people and that's what we say at Flourish that's why we exist rescue is just the beginning it's the first step and there can be many years for people with really complicated issues of rebuilding their life and their well-being and everything and family it it takes years so that's why we exist here in Belfast that's why we do what we do and I suppose you hear these stories and you wonder how you can get involved you know this is my day job that's my job to go and support people through those years but for all of us we can actually play a part and I just have a really simple example so I worked with a family who lived in one area of Belfast and they were experiencing hate crime <clears throat> so we moved them to another area of Belfast and honestly I was nervous because we were moving them into a really tight-knit community where everybody knew everybody and it was a really small street and I was nervous I suppose to see how they would accept this family and I remember it was around Halloween time and I went out to see the family and see how they were getting on and a neighbour called to the door and said oh, we noticed you have a little boy so they had a little five-year-old boy and the neighbour said all the kids in the street trick-or-treat together here in the street and they said we would love for him to join and if he wants to join we've brought him a costume and we've brought him a little pumpkin bucket for his sweets 
and he did. I don't think he had a clue what he was doing, but he went out and got sweets and he was very pleased. And, but honestly, that is just scratching the surface of what that street have done for that family. The family gets invited to all the birthday parties. They've shared meals and clothes. And genuinely, that street is playing a part in life after rescue for somebody. And, you know, like, I know from working with that family that has been a major key for them. They feel welcomed, they have community, they feel safe where they are. It's not everything, but it's part, it's important. And um, I suppose I just say that to say, you know, yes, it may fail out of your reach, but actually you can all do something, and it might be something simple as being a good neighbour. That's brilliant, so helpful. Ben, how can somebody get involved in the work of IJM? Yeah. Um I'm going to give three really practical things that you could get involved with. Um, the first one is giving. Okay, nobody likes to talk about money sometimes, but um, just to give you a bit of an idea of, uh, of, our, of our work and some of those even costs, equivalent costs around that, it, it costs about £5,000 for a rescue operation. Um, I'm not asking for £5,000 right now, by the way, but just to give you an idea of, of what that is. And when we know that money and income is, is coming in, we can plan in advance. It's, it's a really important part of the work. Second thing is, is as you've been listening this morning, as we've heard stories from the Flourish guys, we've heard about the big problem, we've heard Dan telling a story firsthand, and your heart is just starting to beat that little bit faster. You're, you're feeling a prompting to, to what does that next step of, of justice look like for you? Can I encourage you to, to look into that even more? Um, we have a program at iGEM called our Champion Program, which is just about taking that next step, equipping you to... Uh, to fundraise, to speak out, to use what you have in your hands, in your community, in church, or in your workplace, whatever that looks like. And I'd love to chat more to you about what that could look like. But if you feel that prompting, please do chat to me after. And the final one is prayer. We at iGEM, and I think across so many different places and organizations, we're utterly convinced that the greatest weapon that we have to tackle this injustice is prayer, so much so that at iGEM, we've actually included prayer as part of our rhythms, our work rhythms, that twice a day we pause and we stop and we pray as an organization. And this is 1,200 employees around the world pausing, stopping twice a day to lift this work, this, this weighty work up to God, and we know he can handle that weight. And it looks like gathering together around lunchtime and, and praying for that rescue operation that's happening later that evening, perhaps on our Ghana team, or we're praying for an online safety builder to come through and to protect others. But we can all be part of these rhythms of prayer. So I'd love to invite you to be part of these rhythms of praying for justice. And perhaps it's at your lunchtime, taking two minutes. It doesn't need to be every day, but once a week. What does it look like to pray for this work? And you can receive specific IGM updates and prayer requests and by signing up. It's really easy to do on our website. You can chat to me after about that too. But, so giving, maybe become a champion, and perhaps prayer as well. Ben, so helpful, thank you. Uh, Jenny, same question to you. Um, how can somebody get involved in the work of Flourish here in Northern Ireland? Yeah, um, so I have a few different responses that you could make off the back of today. And the first one is actually based on the verse that Flourish is founded on, which is Proverbs 31, verse 8, which is speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And Dan, you just mentioned there, you know, there are people that, that can't speak for themselves and we can choose to be their voice and we can choose to speak up for them. Um, so I'd really um, want to empower you to use your voice, you know, whether that is through your family, your friends, your, your work colleagues, all of those places that you can be 
a, a person of influence to educate and to let people know that human trafficking happens both globally and both locally. Um, if you want, you can sign up to Flourish. We have a newsletter that goes out um, bi-monthly. Um, if you want, you can sign up to that via our website and that will give you uh, helpful articles, any news articles that's happening locally. Um, it will give you updates on the work of Flourish and just general um, awareness around human trafficking here. And you can also follow us along on social media if that's a preferred platform. And then the second type of response I wanted to uh, suggest was um, that one that looks really different for us all individually is what does it look like to respond through who you are as a person? You know, what are your, your gifts, your talents, your skills that actually you could use to, to fight against injustice? And one example of someone who did this just before Christmas really beautifully is Leah Gamble, who's actually here, and I don't think she knows I'm gonna share this. Um, but Leah, just before Christmas, um, designed some sweatshirts uh, with a graphic. She does graphic design at uni and thought she wanted to create some a small amount of sweatshirts to sell and wanted all the profits uh, to go towards something important so she chose Flourish to give the profits to and that's a really beautiful example of someone using what's in their hands, who they are to respond to injustice. Some other ways that could look like is um, do you love to bake, you know, do you, are you a great host, could you have people around your house and, and you know have a conversation uh, over some food or um, do you write, are you a creative writer, could you write blogs, could you uh, send articles to the local newspaper to raise awareness around human trafficking. There's also an example of a volunteer with us who um, is a retired florist and she uses her skills to, uh, to facilitate group activities within Flourish as well. Um, or maybe you, I mean we all shop, um, so maybe you could respond with the power of your purchase, so that could be through supporting some of um, the businesses connected to us, that could be through buying through Sewn, um, our homeware business, it could be buying through some of our partner organisations that give some profits to Flourish, um, which is Refuge Chocolate and Kindred of Ireland, which a lot of you guys will know and love, and maybe you are a business owner yourself and you could respond, uh, you want to partner your business with justice, and maybe that looks like giving some of your profits to Flourish, um, and we would love to have a conversation around that. Um, that's pro it's probably worth saying as well with that that the 300 uh, referrals that are extra at the moment that are, are on top of what we currently have, we, it's a much bigger need and it's a much bigger need that we need to cater for um, so we will need to get more resources for that. Um, but yes, basically what I want to say is just that you can respond with who you are, uh, use what's in your hands and if you want to have a conversation around that and to discuss that further I would love to chat with you about that and I would absolutely love that. But I'll not go into any more detail because no, it's, it's like great. No, it's so, it's so helpful, Jenny. Thank you. Uh, these guys are going to be at the back at the connection desk. Um, and so if you do want to connect with the work of Flourish and with the work of IJM, uh, please do grab a conversation, particularly with Ben and Jenny. They'll be at the connection desk um, at the end. I want to ask one last question. And Steph, I want to, sorry, I want to ask it to you. Um, you mentioned this is your day job, but this is more than just a day job for you. And I, I simply just want to ask, why do you do what you do? Big question. <laughs> um, well, I suppose I always knew that I always just wanted to work with people, so that's kind of where it started. So when I finished school, I went and studied social work. And unfortunately, in my final year, I lost my dad. So I finished my degree and I graduated, but before taking a social work job, I took some time out and worked in Oliver Bonus on the Lisbon Road, which honestly is the most beautiful shop. If you have not been, <laughs> you should go. 
And the whole time I was working there, I was always just chatting to God. I remember tidying the clothes and just chatting, thinking, like, God, what will I do with my degree? I know I want to use it, but I had no idea what I wanted to go into. And I had some experience in addiction, but not really a lot. And I suppose I just didn't really feel like I'd found what I really wanted to do. So I was always chatting to God about it, and I just started to push some doors. So at the time, Jenny was running a group in Lisbon called Stop the Traffic, which is like an awareness-raising uh, group around trafficking so I had an awareness of trafficking I knew it happened here and Jenny invited me along to an event up at Stormont which was a round table event so God being God I got sat beside this lady and she turned out to be one of the founders of Flourish and Flourish were really tiny at the time they had no money they had no staff and they were looking for a volunteer caseworker and I was a newly qualified social worker so our paths crossed and I began volunteering with one family and honestly I just absolutely loved it. I don't know what it was about the work that I just loved but I just came alive when I was with that family. I just, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. So, but there was no job, like it was just a volunteer caseworker but I don't know why, I just knew I was going to work there. I can't describe it and I couldn't describe it to any of my friends or family either. I just knew I was going to have a job there. Um, but months went by and nothing happened and I thought maybe I was just a bit crazy so I decided to start pushing some other doors so I applied to Women's Aid, didn't get the job so again I was chatting to God thinking I really feel like I am going to work here and I don't know why. Not long went by and I got a call from Jill and Elizabeth who were the two founders and they asked me to come in for a meeting and I just knew I was going to get a job, I just knew it was so weird. And I went to the meeting and sure enough, they offered me a job and I was going to be their first ever employee. They weren't even employed themselves as founders. <laughs> so I was going to be the first employee. And my start date was going to be the 4th of July, which was exactly one year to the day that I had graduated. I graduated the 4th of July the year before. So yeah, I started and I just never looked back. And it is about justice, but for me, it's about people. Like I just think if I ended up at the other side of the world, didn't have any friends or family with me, didn't speak the language, I would want a kind face to come along with a big smile and kind eyes and say, I'm here to support you for however long it takes. And honestly, that is what we get to do every day in Flourish. Obviously as well, Flourish isn't necessarily a Christian organisation. Most of us that work there are Christians. So for me as well, it's about bringing hope and peace and joy and all the goodness of God into somebody's life. What I would say is, just really quickly on this, there is a cost to what I do. It's really hard. We hear really hard things um, and walk through really difficult stuff with people. And I suppose I felt like if God led me somewhere, it would be all roses and it would be really easy. <laughs> but it's not. It's hard. It can cost my well-being at times. It can cost my sleep. <laughs> I have cried plenty of times about what I've seen and heard. But on the flip side of that, there is a cost and a sacrifice to this kind of work or getting involved in justice. But honestly, it is worth every part of it because when I'm doing what I do, I truly come alive and I just know it's what God's made me to do. So that's Wonderful. why I do what I do. No, that's amazing. Brilliant. I want you to each notice two things. For many of you, maybe all of us in the room, there is maybe something happening quite deep within us. Um, our hearts are beating a little bit faster. Um, there's like a quickening that's going on within our spirits. And there's this sense of, man, we need to do something about this. But I also want you to notice the second thing, which is you've heard stories of how you connect and how you can respond to this need for justice. That whether it's being a good neighbor 
um, whether it is doing this as a job, whether it's giving, whether it's choosing to pray for a couple of minutes during lunchtime, there is something that you can do about this. So yes, man, we do need to do something about this, but we all can do something about this. Um, these guys are going to be at the back, at the connection desk at the end, and I would love for you to reach out to them. Um, in your 321 email today, in our weekly email tomorrow, and in all of our columns this week, there'll be lots of ways that you can get connected with the work of IJM and with Flourish. But for now, can I ask you guys to give these folks a massive round of applause. <laughs>